Today marks the third and last part of our introduction to the Yudgimu Ikarim. Next week we're going to dive straight in to the actual Ikarim themselves. This serves as the end of the, the, of, of the introduction periods. Now, we've spent a bit of time figuring out, spending time learning the Rambam, the Yudgimu Ikarim, where he got them from, the extent, the parameters, the ramifications. That's what we spent the week one with. Week two, we spent um, looking through history and seeing that in fact there were people who disagreed. Rav, um, Rav, Rav Chastai Kreskus, the Rash Bates, the Rav Alboy, the Abar Benel. We, we, we saw a history of people who, who disagreed with, um, with the Rambam. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, you know, all said and done, bottom line, you know, so today, what is, what is ultimately the, what is the underpinning of our faith? It does, it does, is the Rambam overthrown? Is he overturned by these people who disagreed with him? What, what in the end of the day is our, um, our basic methodology or the, um, theology? This, this is very important because today you have a lot of exploration. People do a lot of exploration in all fields. And sometimes you kind of come in conflict with some of the things that the Rambam delineated. So you know, what I'd like to do is actually this discussion actually sparked in, um, a fire just in the last 25 years, there's been a lot of, lot of literature written on this and um, been very heated debates backwards and forwards on, the, on this particular topic. So I'd like to do a little bit of a survey of some of the, of some of the players in this field and get a sense of the different, the, the, different, um, the different opinions. First, and I think this is such an important thing to consider, even though we saw a debate, we saw the Rambam says Yud Gimel Karim, we saw that Rav Kreskus has six, then we saw that the Rav Elbo has three, and then we saw that our Babanel says that there's no limit. Every letter of the Torah is ultimately part of our, our um, belief system. So are they in real disagreement? So Rav Bleich has a book, which is um, a, a very well-known book on this topic, uh, J. David Bleich, uh, Bleich um, called With Perfect, With Perfect Faith, on the first page. And... Um, it has, um, it has on it, it he has, it's a very complex and very dense book, but he, listen to this paragraph in which he describes the machloikas that we've seen up till now. He says the following, It appears that in compiling divergent lists of principles, uh, principles Maimonides, Crescus, and Alboy are not so much in disagreement with regards to the substantive teachings or to the need to accept these teachings as divinely revealed truths, as they are with regard to what it is that they are endeavoring to formulate. So what is, what's the machloik, as he, he suggests, between Rav Alboy, between Rav, um, Rav, um, Rav, uh, Rav, uh, Rav Kreskus and, and the Rambam is, in fact, ultimately, not really, not really the, the, the um, not necessarily the details, but what their purpose was. Alboy is intent upon formulating a system of axioms consistent with the sine qua non of any system of religious belief. Every theological system must, by definition, posit the existence of a deity. Any su- such system must embody the concept of revelation, else religion can make no demands upon man. And the concept of reward and punishment must be established in order to, do, to provide a basis for compliance with the demands of revelation. Meaning, Rav, the Sefer HaIkorim, says, 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 says Rav Bleich, is simply saying, these are the basics for religion. You want to set up a religion? This is what you need. You need to have Hashem. I mean, you need to have a God. You need to have interaction. And you need to have Scharvanish. Those are the basics. That's all he's saying. Now that happens to be, it's a common denominator. And other religions, if they're going to exist, need to have that as well. But he's saying this is the basic for there to be a revelation of, a God, of God to human. However, Crescus, Rav Chasa, Crescus on the hand, is not concerned with the premises of, of religious belief in general, but with the unique claims of faith set forth by Judaism. 
That's right. That's right. Chasai Kreskes actually has six. We discussed that the, his his specific interaction with, with through mitzvahs. Kreskes presents a, the distinctive demands which Judaism makes upon faith and formulates the belief which are unique to Judaism. Finally, Maimonides, depending on which explanation is, is accepted, either presents the particular beliefs which require bolstering. That's the the. Um, 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 and reinforcement, that's the uh, Barbanel, or enumerates the minimum content of theological knowledge necessary for the development of the acquired intellect, which in turn makes it possible, makes possible the reality of immortality. Okay, that's another way of reading what the Rambam is trying to do. But what he, what's so sharp about the, what, what Rav Leich is just saying is that there's not a machloikas over here. It re- really, there's actually a discussion about they're coming, they're aiming at different goals. The Sefer Ekarim is just saying, is what's the basic of, of a religion? The Ramam is not necessarily saying, is saying that. The Ramam is saying what is necessary in the communion between HaKadosh Baruch and B'nai Yisrael. And that's the basics of, of our unique um, system. And therefore they come, up with different, um, they come up with different or perhaps varied answers. This is just an important, an important point to remember when reading all the Machlokas, is that maybe they're not necessarily disagreeing in terms of what the belief system was, or maybe they're actually aiming at different things. Um... The reason why this, this come, becomes relevant is the following. A number of years ago, Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Norman Lamb, the then president of Yeshua University for many years, um, decided that there were not enough people in the world who had an appreciation of what Torah Umada was. Right? That's, the, that's, the, that's the slogan of Yeshua University. Torah Umada, Torah and um, science or, or research. And um, he felt that it was necessary, in, um, it was necessary to... To, to tell the community, to tell the modern Orthodox community under Yeshiva University the, the, the significance of what Torah Umada actually means. So he started, he started what was called the Torah Umada Journal. And um, the Torah Umada Journal was a, was a forum in which people could explore, or the teachers and, uh, could explore and investigate the parameters of Torah Umada and the significance of it in, in, this, um, in this unique, um, in, in other world that we live in. Now, this is important because... This is, this is particularly unique because, just, just to remember, you know, people say, you know, Torah Mata, a new thing, happens to be that Jews are not really enfranchised to be part of the university system, except really, 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 really in the last century or two, meaning Jews really didn't have access to, to, um, to, uh, to real tertiary education up till pretty recently in Jewish history. So when that happened, there's been a lot of, that's where there's been a lot of uh, um, um, tumultuous discussion as to our role. A Jew's role in the world when it comes to education and professions and educated professions. So, within this role, um, Yeshiva University plays a significant role. And he, and he in this first um, journal of Torah Mada, the what Rav Yehuda Parnas, who was then a, a Rosh Hashiva at Yeshiva University, set forth a, an article which was very interesting. In this article, he is concerned with the following, and that is the parameters or the limitations of research. Because you see, you see in academic research, the, the one of the axioms is, is that there's unfettered ability to be able to explore. Meaning, you need to be able to explore everything and filter and distill all the facts till you get to what becomes the truth. The problem is, is that in Judaism, that has a particular danger. Is that when you start just exploring out there, you know, and doing everything and reading everything, sometimes you'll come across things which are not part of the <coughs> gamut of, um, of our belief system. You might actually be affected in a negative way by the, that exposure. That's, that's the concern. 
So, that, so how do the two live together? We believe on the one hand that when we learn, we learn the sciences, we learn literature, when we learn, when we learn all the expressions, whether man-made or, or God-made beauty in the world, whether science, whether macro, micro, whether human-made beauty or, or, or poetry, there's an incredible amount that we can understand about Hashem through that. And the people who really, really embody that. Um, at the same time, is when you go too far, then you actually slip off the edge. So how do you deal with that? So he, he, in his, it's a very short article, he quotes the following Rambam. This is a Rambam in Hilchus Avodah Zorah. This is, a very, some just, just, this is just something worthwhile to really think about sometimes, this, this particular Rambam. He says the following. Um, um, he says, I mean, Halacha Beis. Svarim Rabim, Chibru, Ovde Kochovim Bavoidasa, Heach Ikarav Avoidasa, Ma, Ma Selvim Umishpatel. So, so there's, there happens to be that the, the Ramam says that there are many books of Avodah Zara. You don't have to read, you don't have to go too far to know that in fact there are many, there are many books of Avodah Zara. But see, it's Sivona Kodesh Baruchu, Shalalikras Boison Hasvarim, that Hashem has commanded us not to read those books, Klal. Interesting. Not at all. You can never read any of those books. Don't speak about it. Don't learn it. So Hashem says that we can't even look at those images. This is interesting. When you go on your next tour to Greece. <laughs> I don't know if now's the best time. <laughs> but, um, in, uh, but in the, you, know, the, the, you know, the question is, is you know, what can you be looking at? So the Rambam says that explicitly, the Torah says, Al-Tifnu means to say, it doesn't mean to say just, just uh, spending time with them, it means even looking at them. Right? Don't, don't give them thought or, um, or, um, or time. Don't spend time saying, you know, I wonder how they do that. It wouldn't that be interesting if we just did a little bit of um, research? Even though you're not serving it, you're just finding out about it. Because you already, even your just exposure and finding out how it works causes you a certain amount of, of uh, danger. The Torah tells us that that's what's going to happen. These are all included in the same set of prohibitions. person who turns after it in a way that there's actually an action, receives lashes. This is what's important to us. Not just um, polytheism, good old idol worship, anything, any, any science, any research which is going to take our mind off the Ikarim, of the, practi- the basic foundations of Judaism, we're not allowed to spend time doing. And because what's going to happen is we're going to start thinking about and pondering and, and brooding. Happens to be, we are limited creatures, human beings you know, have a limited capacity to be able to understand and think about things on the whole, on average. And um, if, you, if you let too much in, you're going to end up you're going to end up um, destroying your world. 
You're going to swear, sometimes you're going to be saying, well, you know, that's so interesting about such and such a God, and then you're going to spend a little more time thinking, well, you know, Hashem is all-powerful, and you say, well, is He all-powerful, because what about that whole, the, the pantheon? And then you, then you start thinking about all kinds of things. It's interesting over here that the Rambam is including not just Avodah Zorah, but anything, any thought process which is going to lead you to perhaps, maybe, to, uh, to a... Uh, to, to perhaps real real deal um, we'll call it diversion from you from from the game plan. Telling now, so this is interesting because so why is this interesting? Let's let's just uh, uh, backtrack for a second. Why is this interesting that it's him who's saying this? Because <laughs> this is the Rambam, right? After all, after all, the Rambam the Rambam was an Aristotelian, right? I Meaning if you read uh, read more in Nevuchim, right? For a large one, he disagrees with Aristotle in many cases, but the Rambam is very very well very well versed in Greek philosophy. Right? The, today, as, um, as many of the, uh, our researchers in the room will, will know, that, um, thank you, that, um, is that actually, um, actually the, um, the Rambam is, is read as a philosophical work. Right? Meaning, not just by Jews. The Rambam is a philosophical wor- work which is, which is empirical philosophy based on the, the, the particular era. Now, so, so the Rambam himself is saying, Saying there's a limitation to to to, um, to exposure. At the same time, he himself was very exposed. So Rav Paranus deals with that in his article, and he says the Rambam was only there's there's a limitation, or there's, an, there's a dispensation rather that you're allowed to do it lahavin or lahairos. In, in other words, if you're going to teach, or if you're going to know in order to be able to teach what yes and what not, then you're able to. Meaning. If this is not about just exploration for the sake of exploration, but really, you know what you're getting at, you know where the end goal is, but you need to, you need to actually invest <coughs> time and effort in order to be able to understand something you're allowed to do. That's, that's what the Rav Pirana says, and this is the closing line of his article on pay, on, in Source 3, on, on page 2. Based on all above, Torah matter can only be viable if it imposes strict limits on the freedom of in- inquiry in areas that may undermine the Yudgimel Ikrei Muna. Then Torah will have the opportunity to represent itself as an authentic and historical tradition in Jewish thought. So what does Rav Paris say ultimately? Is the harness or the reins of, um, of, of real Torah or investigation in any realm of secular study is ultimately the parameters <coughs> are the Yud Gimel Ikarim. So what he's saying is, is that the Rambam reigns, reigns supreme. That's what, that's what essentially he's saying. Now that is, uh, uh, raised a lot of this article <coughs> itself raised a lot of, uh, of um, furor. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, a lo- a lot of uh, controversy. controversy around this particular article. So in a later Torah Matter journal, there was an article written by a person by the name of Mark Shapiro, Dr. Mark Shapiro. <coughs> he says the following. So do- do Dr. Shapiro writes an article, and what happens is, is that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of backwards and forwards, and he actually turns this article into a book. By the way, this is not just a. This is not just an article. It's like a fifty-six page, you know, or one of these um, fifty-six pages with, you know, you know, um, a third of that being footnotes. It's a very serious, a very serious article in responses. Now, notice, by the way, uh, Pyrus's article was all of four and a half pages, just out of interest. You know, it was, it was, you know, he was just setting out a very simple parameter based on the Rambam. And uh, so, what essentially he he, he argues. Um, and what his whole argument is, is that he goes through one by one and he shows that the Rambam ultimately was not accepted historically. So look, look uh, this is just a, an example of, um, this, is, this, this is his introduction of what he's trying to achieve, he says in Source 4. Having made these prelim- preliminary remarks, I left out the preliminary remarks of, of three pages, we may proceed to analyze our opponent's point that heresy is defined by rejection of any one of Maimonides' 13 principles, presumably. 
Parapyrinus did not mean to say that only the 13 principles and nothing else are the determinants as to what constitutes heresy, for it is undeniable that no rabbinic figure has ever believed this. Right? I mean, there are other things which can knock you out of the system. Right? That's, that's clear. I say this for the simple reason that Maimonides' 13 principles are not all-inclusive. So number one, there are other things you can do to get off the train. Right? There are other things you can do and you're, you're out of the fold. Thus, they do not include the, the idea that, Jew, that, that Jews are God's chosen people. In addition, there are a number of dogmas which the Maimonides discusses in other places but excludes from his 13 principles. For example, there's no mention in the principles about the existence of only one God or free will, despite their overriding importance in Maimonides' thought. All this lends to the credence to Arthur Hyman's point, already anticipated in part by Abarbanel. Abravanel is the, one of the academic um, ways of reading Abarbanel. This is a, a dispute as to how to pronounce his name. That the 13 principles were never intended to, compromise, uh, to comprise in their totality the most important aspects of Judaism. Rather, they are merely formulated so to, to correspond with the structure of the Mishnah in Tractate Sanhedrin, upon which Maimonides was commenting. So he's saying the Ram, the Ramam is really essentially limited. It's not including everything. The other things the Ramam himself agrees are very important. He doesn't put in there. So that diminishes the significance of them. And in his conclusion of the article, then, then where those ellipses are, are where he goes, one by one by one. And by the way, most of them he actually agrees with. There's, there's certain ones that he really puts a lot of effort into. So, and, and like for instance, the fact that Ramam says that Hashem is the only person to who we can dive into, that we can't pray to an intermediary. So he spends pages showing that there are intermediaries throughout history that we, that we you know, Shalom Aleichem. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna deal with that when we get there. And then he's talking about every letter from the, uh, of the Torah is from Hashem. And then there's a, he's going to go through a whole, a whole train of thought. When we get there, we're going to spend a little more time on Mark Shapiro and, um, and anticipate some of the things that he's going to bring and throw out a lot of the arguments that he presents. Just once we, once we get to that, to that point. It's not worth doing it now, but overall. And his conclusion is, the goal of this essay was to examine the claim that Maimonides' principles were the last word in Jewish theology, simply by tr- looking at traditional Jewish sources and many more that um, could have been quoted. And he does that in his book, which he expands from this article. Um, it has been shown clearly that both my, uh, before Maimonides' time and after, many of the views were not, uh, were not re- been regarded um, as authoritative. The fact that Maimonides placed the stamp of apostasy on anybody who disagreed with his principles did not frighten numerous Rishonim and Akronim away from the search for truth. The lessons for moderns is clear. So what he essentially is saying is, to Rabbi Parnas, in his response, is that, you know, it may be that the Rambam's guidelines, or, how, or we'll call it parameters, are not the end, end result or end word as to, as to exposure and education. Interestingly enough, he doesn't say what they are. <laughs> Meaning, he doesn't prescribe. He doesn't prescribe. He doesn't say, okay, so this is what you're allowed to, what you're not. All his point was to show is that by just simply, and, and uh, what he would say to our parents, glibly according to you, glibly is not sufficient. Just, just as an article in the forward, the forward is, um, always picks up on these types of uh, <laughs> issues. So, um, <laughs> so this is just, just, just to give you a sense of, 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 the, of the, the controversy that is created by this. Um, um, Rabbi J- David J. Bleich, a leading orthodox authority on rabbinic law, who has not read Shapiro's book, argued the alternative, that alternative positions from the past are not relevant if they have been rejected by contemporary orthodox rabbis. Quote, Once dogmas are presented, there is no room for rejected opinions. Even if they were articulated by great rabbis, Black told the Ford, the attempt to revive such rejected opinions would now be regarded as heresy by normative Judaism. In other words, 
Blaich said, even if one observes all of, all of the religious commandments, failure to accept Maimonides' principles is a rejection of orthodox theology. You could call yourself orthodox if you, um, if you want, Blaich says, but you really are, oh, but you're really orthoprax. Now, this is interesting, because this gets into what's, what's a very, very, um, very hotbed question, which is what's called... Is there psak in halacha, meaning in, in, in Mahshava? Do you say that normative Jewish, normative Jewish thought, although there was a plethora of options, let's say in the times of the Rishonim, and you read some of the Rishonim, and you read the Ibn Ezra, and there's some really shocking things that we're going to see, he says. But in the end of the day, mainstream Judaism doesn't deal with that, meaning mainstream Judaism isn't such. We don't hear that. So now you're trying to revive, and you're going to pull out some... Some, you know, unknown Italian Rishon, you know, who did say it. Okay, he did say it. But you're going to now say that, you know, we're going to put, uh, put him in the same ring as the Rambam? So Rav Blach is saying is that history itself showed us what ultimately our, our theological system is. There were people on the sides, but ultimately the mean became the natural, the natural causeway. So this is what Rav Blach says. This is an interesting point. This, uh, this, is very, this is very important when it comes to a lot of um, contemporary books and a lot of things which are on the Cherem line today are on this topic on this topic itself is, do you revive an opinion um, that is not that has been out of the mainstream, and uh, and bring it back into the into the plain court? That's that's um, on this topic. And in response to the, such arguments, Shapiro said, inspired him to write the book. It used to be okay to believe something, but now it is heretical because today's rabbis believe it to be. Shapiro said, such an approach is politics, not theology. He added, I would argue, Shapiro said, that there is little need. Um, for, such, uh, for such policy statements and that traditional Jewish theology should be uh, about including people, not seeing how many people too can be excluded. So you can so first of all see what the, the point of the book is now when, um, in, 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 the, in this article. But there's, by the way, this is, there's a very, very big gray spectrum between what they've just said. Right, Rav Blach is saying that there are certain things which are out of the fold, and they just, you know, they just didn't become part of mainstream Judaism. Rav Shapiro is saying, is if I can find anything, that's going to be enough to, ho- to hang my coat on to be able to believe in, or at least help other people not, uh, from excluding them. Now, there's a lot of gray in between that, um, and, that and I think it's worthwhile considering that. But these are the, po- the polls which are being isolated over here, and you can see now how controversial this is becoming. And where is where's this focused around? Where's the storm? Where's the eye of the storm is? Yud Gimel Yikarim. Because this is where it all starts. There were many, many responses to, uh, to, uh, to Mark Shapiro's book. Um, because it was first an article, then his book. His article got <coughs> responses. One of them is um, Rabbi Zevlev. Rabbi Zevlev, who is, uh, who is the leader of, I think it's Ma- Moshav Matisyahu um, in Eretz Israel. So he wrote an editorial piece to the OU's um, um, action, Jewish Action Magazine in response to it. And just, not the whole thing, but just, uh, just some thoughts that he, that he mentions. And he, he does go piece by piece. We're going to get to that. We're not going to deal with details now. But overall, he says, Every seriously Shiva student knows that there were disagreements as to whether the 13 principles were in fact ben- beneficial to posit. And if so, which ones were to be considered the principles? Is there a seriously Shiva student who is ignorant of Rav Yosef Albo Sefer Karim or Rav Moshe, uh, Moshe Detrani's Beis Elohim? Yes, there were disagreements as to what kind of disbelief rendered one a heretic. Yet while these were, um, were disagree- while these were disagreements with regard to the various details and parameters of the principles, the 13 principles have been accepted in their general form as the expression of Torah Judaism. And as stated above, one who denies any of them is outside the pale of the faith community of Torah Judaism. For example, the conviction that God is corporeal, a corporeal being, like any other corporeal being, is as a belief that is outside the realm of Judaism, despite the fact that the sages do not agree whether to deem one a heretic for harboring the belief. 
Hence, the principle is true, although its exact parameters are subject to the debate of Torah, of Torah scholars. An example he gives in the next paragraph is when the Shulchan Aruch came out. So what happens is um, Rav Yosef Karo, who up till then had been commenting on the Arba Turim of Rav Rabbeinu Yaakov, um, um, Rabbeinu Yaakov, who wrote the Turim, um, he, he wrote, uh, first Rav, uh, Rav Yosef Karo wrote a Pirush called the Beis Yosef on the side of it, and then he turned that, instead of being a list of enumerating a number of opinions, he actually decided. In most cases, he decided which opinion to adopt. So it happens to be that there was much disagreement. All you need to do is open the pages of Shulchan Aruch and you'll read there's a Shach and there's a Taz and there's a Mogan Avram and there's a Sma and there's a Levush and there's a Pischet Shuvah and there's a Gra. You, you, there's no end to the people, the pre You can keep reading and there's people disagree. But in the end of the day, are they rejecting the Shulchan Aruch? No. No, they accept, they accept the Shulchan Aruch as an enterprise. They accept the Shulchan Aruch and the premise that there needs to be a Locha. On details they're disagreeing. On the specific points here and there. So he says the same thing with the Rambam. When the Rambam laid down the Yugil Nukarim, it may be true that there are people arguing and there's many, many little details to, to, to fine-tune. But the notion that the Yugil Nukarim, the notion that there is, there is a belief system that we need to be within, that wasn't rejected whatsoever. This is just a very important point. You see, you can look at disagreements as, you, therefore you throw out the baby in the bathwater, or you can say, no, 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 we are just fine-tuning. And that's what, what Rav Zevda is saying is over here, is what we're doing is we're fine-tuning. That's the one argument, and I think this is just an important point to bear in mind when, when considering this. I think this is a very cogent argument. Let's go a little further. Happens to be there's another problem that, that in, in, in Mark Shapiro's um, um, research, which is, which, is, which, is, which is a more of a, sociologic, a sociology issue. And um, this is pointed out by Rabbi Yitzhak Blau, who wrote a response also to Mark Shapiro. As you can see, by the way, this is, this is a very hotbed topic. Literally, uh, this, this, there was a particular period in time where there were articles going backwards and forwards in, the, the, uh, in every forum on this particular topic. So Rabbi Yitzhi Blau says the following, um, and this is just a very, it's a very sharp insight. He says on the last page, this is a, on, in source, um, it's actually doesn't have a source apparently, it's on the bottom of page four. Um, here's the article, it's called Flexibility with a Firm Foundation on Maintaining Jewish Dogma. This is a review of the book. On the book's last page, Shapiro writes of the book's significance in the context of reigning trends in orthodoxy. Together with the turn to the right in orthodoxy, which has led to an increasing stringency in many areas of halacha, an ever-increasing dogmatism in matters in regards to belief is also apparent. Shapiro apparently sees this volume as an important resource against the, this dogmatism, and indeed it is. Now this part, I think, this next, these next few lines, I think we can resonate very much with and you can just see the point that, that, that why we do agree with certain aspects of the argument of the book. If Rabbi Yosef B. Soloveitchik can be accused of heresy for writing that secular Zionists acquired the land of Israel through the building of altars, an altar of factories, a homiletic expression for their dedication, and if Rav Cook can be termed as a well-known heretic, as people did, then the misuse of the term heresy has gotten out of hand. More recent misuse of the term heresy includes attacks on the Revadim approach to the Gomorrah learning and the banning of books that portray the human dimension of biblical heroes. Yadot can accommodate a good deal of diverse opinion and even sharp debate without being branded a, anyone being branded a kofar. So I think we can relate to that. So what Rabbi Lau is saying is such a good point, is that you have to be very careful. Today what happens is, is that if the scope becomes so narrowed and people think they have such a trademark on what what is, we'll call it, the Yud Gimel Karim, that anything, anything which, they, which is felt within that particular community is, is dangerous, is de- outside of that thin spotlight, is deemed heresy. And we, can, we feel that, meaning from our community, we feel when, when people, leaders in our community, have been 
called Kofrim. Why? Because uh, the narrow view of this. So that's on the one hand. However, let's push it in the other direction. And then, by the way, this paragraph was all championing the book. Therefore, it's important to have a book which says that just be careful, not everybody agrees to the Rambam. Right? You need to have a book. However, here's the however. However, Shapira makes no reference to the danger found on the opposing point of orthodox spectrum. Under the influence of modern relativism and epistemological skeptics, many contemporary writers attempt to deny the significance of dogmas in Judaism altogether. Tamaras argues that Rav Kook views Jewish beliefs as having only instrumental value and not, cog- and not as cognitive truths. She argues for a position in which we view Buddhism, Christianity, and Islam as equal manifestations of the same truth as Judaism. Menachem Keller, we get there in a moment, published a book regarding that beliefs are not the basis for deciding who is part of the religious community. In a more Kishotic venture, Arya Botwinik tries to identify Rambam's negative theology with postmodern skepticism. Gili Zivan explores the, most, uh, the postmodern implications of contemporary Jewish theologians, uh, theologians who despair of the notion of ge- objective truth, uh, truth. David Singer compares David Berger to I don't know how to pronounce that, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. For, for arguing that the idea of a Messiah having a second coming is, is in, order, um, in order to fulfill the Messianic prophecies is beyond the pale. So this is like a whole string of people who stepped too far. While it is difficult to estimate the influence of these writers, I think it is fair to say that the liberal edge of orthodoxy is tempted by this position. Self-referential usage of the term halachic in the place of orthodox may reflect this ideology, meaning as long as we're practicing the right way, it's fine. Our belief system can explore further. That's what they're saying with that. No doubt, adherents of the orthodox approach will quick, be quick to utilize Shapira's work as a support. Had Shapira also kept this second extreme in mind and taken steps to be more forcefully, more forcefully combat it, he would have written a better book. Do you see, do you see what he's saying? That's a, that's a very important point on a sociological level. Is you've got to be careful... You've got to be careful when you start closing off things da- and closing things down and saying anybody outside is a kofer on the one hand. On the other hand, when you just open the doors and say, well, everything is, under, um, is up to dispute, then what happens is you get a lot of people on the very liberal edge who will say, well, you know what? In the end of the day, you know, Judeo-Christian values, they're all the same. And that's not really, that's not really true, right? <laughs> you know, Judaism is not Christianity plus minus a few family members. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of other... There's a, a lot of other Things that are going on that are actually quite different between the, the religions. So this is uh, this is a um, a very interesting perspective on perhaps the lackings of that book. Now, where this is actually more famously known is um, is is if you go a little further back, which got a little less mainstream mainstream attention, was a book written by Doctor actually Doctor Steve Kellner, but um, his name is Menachem in Hebrew. But um, he, he, um, it's not, not, not our, our well-beloved um, Dr. Steve Kellner. This doctor is not a doctor in uh, the medical field. Um, he, he is a professor in, in a university, and he, uh, he wrote a number of books on dogma, a number of scholarly articles. In fact, he, it is thanks to him that we have the translation of Abarbanel's Rosh Hashanah. Remember last week we spent a bit of time quoting the 24-chapter book, Rosh Hashanah of Abarbanel, who, who supports the Rambam in 22 of the Prakim, and then argues in the last two Prakim, he translates that. So he's really, this is his thing, and he writes a number of books on Jewish dogma, and he has a book called Must Jew Believe Anything? Great title, right? Um, anyway, so in this, in this book, you know, it's, it's suffice to say he, he has a lot to say. He really has, an, and it would be unfair to, to summarize in a few minutes what he, what he says. But just in his own words, in the introduction to the book on the top of page 6, he says, in, this on, in, on his, in his own book, he says, Must a Jew believe anything? If belief is a matter of trust in God, expressed in obedience to, to the Torah, my answer to the question is that a Jew must believe everything. 
that's very much a, an approach of the Abarbanel. Meaning, Abarbanel is saying is don't limit it to a particular Yudgarim. Everything is necessary. However, if belief is the intellectual acquiescence in carefully defined statements of dogma, the answer is that there is, that, that there is nothing that a Jew must believe. So what he goes on to argue in the book is that ultimately he takes it one step further than Mark Shapiro. Mark Shapiro is, is, is essentially saying that there's, an, there's arguments as to specifics in each Ikar. He argues that in fact the Rambam is very different to the theology of the Mishnah and the Gomorrah, where there was no system of, you know, we'll call it structure of religious belief, that, that dogma isn't as important as it's, as, it's, uh, as it's hyped up to be. And really it was the Rishonim who introduced the notion of dogma in the context of a time where people were searching for dogma and creed. Now that's uh, that, that's um, um, where, where he goes in that direction. And he, and he has numerous proofs in that direction. Um, which essentially means to say he leaves it a very open playing for, um, field. He, he is basically saying that there's nothing really left. You could argue with Mark Shapiro as to what's left. But he is saying that, that the, the Rambam was, is, is, is almost completely new and wasn't part of the theology of old in this respect. Um, and therefore, it, I think it's important just to close with this particular point that Dr. David Berger, who reviews in tradition, he reviews um, Dr. Kellner's book, and he says the following. This is a very personal, a very personal piece. And remember, you know, Dr. Berger is, um, is one of the intellectual powerhouses of today's generation and um, a teacher at YU. Um, teaches in Revel, he teaches in, uh, I think he teaches in Brooklyn as well, and um, really one of the stalwarts of, of, um, of, of Jewish thought today. And he says the following, this is such an important point, and um, this is in Source 8. He says, unlike Kellner, however, he agrees on certain points, disagrees on others. He says, unlike Kellner, however, I use, even insist upon terms like legitimate and authentic, meaning to say there needs to be something, there needs to be certain standards. We have an obligation to maintain the boundaries of faith bequeathed us by our ancestors, and we cannot do this by describing even fundamental deviations as points on a continuum. Right? So what essentially uh, Dr. Kellner was doing was saying, you know, it's all really, it's just like different degrees of belief. Right? He says, you can't have such a system. Let me illustrate this point in a very personal way. In my mid-teens, I experienced periods of perplexity and inner struggle while reading books of biblical criticism. While I, gener- while I generally resisted arguments for the documentary hypothesis with a comfortable margin of safety, there were moments of deep turmoil. This is a very, it's, can, you can imagine, you know, a brilliant mind like him as a young man, you know, seeing the arguments, and when you, when you do see these arguments, they're very scary arguments that people, uh, you know, people have spent years pointing out that there are m- multiple biblical authors and different styles. When you start seeing these type of things and you don't have anybody protecting you or guiding you, it's a very scary thing. I have a vivid recollection of standing at an outdoor Kabbalah Shabbos in camp, overwhelmed with doubts and hoping that, that, that God would give me the strength to remain an Orthodox Jew. What saved me was a combination of two factors. Works that provided reasoned arguments in favor of traditional belief and the knowledge that, that to embrace the position that the Torah consists of a discrete, often contradictory documents, which is the documentary hypothesis, was to embrace not merely error but apikursot. If I had been told by a credible authority that there is nothing a Jew must really believe and that the only danger was that I would, would move to a different point on the continuum, I'm afraid to face the question of what might have happened. That's such a sharp point. Meaning, if, if, if and educationally, to our children, to our students, if we're going to say that, you know, it's all relativism, and, which is a very inclusive kind of approach and helps 
when it comes to people who are already further along the spectrum, we say, look, you know what, you're not out. But then the people who are still learning, so, so what stops you saying, well, I don't have to be here, I can just move further along that continuum. Very, very strong educational point. Therefore, he concludes, finally, an unanticipated consequence of the refusal to draw red lines may well be the fostering of intolerance within orthodoxy itself. Interesting point. Since every orthodoxy, indeed every coherent movement, must have boundaries, setting them in a reasonable place encourages respect for differences within those boundaries. Refusing to set them at all may well lead to the blurring of the central and the peripheral, the Ikra and the Tafel, and lead to the position that virtually all deviations delegitimate. It hardly needs to be said that this danger is very much with us. This book has much to recommend it, both scholarly and accessible, is marked by humane vision and a passionate commitment to a vibrant, outward-looking Orthodox Judaism. Outward-looking means to say that we're not trying to cut people off. That's what he's trying to do in the book. However, nonetheless, its central thesis is deeply flawed, misrepresenting Judaism's past and providing a prescription that could jeopardize its future. So you just see the, 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 the significance of this, of this debate over here. Um, both on the level of disagreeing on an individual level with the, the Ikarim, and perhaps on a more central level with the notion of dogma itself. And people, people in general, gen, there's a general notion that Christianity is all about, pra- about dogma and Judaism is about practice, right? In Judaism, it's about getting up for chakras in the morning, it's like lighting candles for Shabbos, there's a lot of things you need to do. And what, what Dr. Berg is pointing out is that it's true we have a lot of practice. Or Ablach is pointing out it's true we have a lot of practice, but there is a framework of theology. Is it, is it iron cast? Do we, are, do we, are we going to use it, therefore, to exclude people? That's not the point. We, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of flexibility and there's a lot of disagreement within it. But to, uh, but to take down the tent and say, you know what, it's all an open playing field, is a, dangerous, is, a, is a dangerous view itself. What stands in front of us now is now, with the, the, these three sets of introductions, to actually delve into the, into the principles themselves. To now, we're going to start next week on the first two Emes Hashem. And to get a sense of what they are, also the foils to them, as we get further into them, there'll be more disagreement, and to appreciate it, and also, if we have a chance, what we're going to do is the following. We're going to also line up the, the Ikar, as the Ramam says it himself, the Animamin, as said centuries later, and then also the Lani in Yigdal, and see how the three line up in terms of, um, in terms of actually understanding it. Thank you very much for, for coming today. I hope everybody's enjoying it.